Uh, I want to start off with a real simple and straightforward question today, and that's this. How passionate are you about Jesus? How passionate are you about Jesus? I, I didn't ask how much you know about him or how many stories you can tell. That's all good, and it's important. But how passionate are you about Jesus? Maybe you could, in your own heart, not audibly, but put it on a scale of 1 to 10, kind of where you're at today. Maybe you could look back at other times in your life where perhaps it's been lower or perhaps higher than it is today. Wherever you're at with that, I'm, I've been praying for you and for me that God would use this series as a time to, to increase our passion for Jesus, to draw us closer, that God would draw us closer to his own heart, that, that when we come here to worship, that it would never be just going through motions, never be just mere ritual, even though ritual is important, that it would, all, it would be a, a heartfelt ritual, a heartfelt activity of drawing closer and closer to the Lord. So I want to start off just by praying. Come, Holy Spirit. Won't you fill this place? Won't you fill our hearts? Would you, would you move in us as only you could move? Would you work in us as only you could work? We're here for you today, God. Some of us, we've come here from really busy places or, or really difficult places or really tiring places. Others, we're coming here in great joy and expectation and excitement. However it is today that we come here, God, we need you. We need you. We need you more than we even know that we need you. And I pray that you would meet us. I pray that you would move in our hearts. I pray that as we study your word, as we receive the sacrament of communion, that you would move in great and mighty ways in our lives. Lord, we love you so much. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in this series in a book called Malachi. Malachi is at the very end of the Old Testament. It's the last of the minor prophets, the smaller ones. Uh, and that doesn't mean they're unimportant. It just means they're shorter. So good news, you can read the whole book in like 15 minutes. So seriously, I encourage you to do it. Go home, read the whole thing. It won't take you that long. Um, you could, um, you, you could even read through it several different times throughout this series. Um, it's, it's a great way to get to know Malachi's words. And really when I say Malachi's words, it's predominantly God's words. Malachi's name means messenger. And Malachi was a prophet, which means his job was to convey God's word to God's people. And Malachi does just this. In fact, he tells us nothing about himself in the book. He just identifies himself. Um, but he, and the book is only about 55 verses, and about 47 of those verses are God talking to God's people. So it's a very focused, brief book, but that doesn't mean that it's insignificant. It's very significant. Malachi is a guy who cares very much about personal holiness. We see this through the book. Um, he's also a person who's not afraid to speak hard words. Uh, he challenges people in power sometimes, so he's a courageous prophet as well. Long before Malachi's time, I mean generations and generations before Malachi, God's people had been so disobedient that they had been conquered by their enemies and hauled away into exile. Okay, so that's what had happened to the Israelites 
They, in fact, this had been prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 27. God predicts it when he says, The Lord will scatter you among the nations where only a few of you will survive. So that's not good news. But the next, or a couple verses later, verse 29, is very hopeful. It says, But from there you will search again for the Lord your God, and if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. Those are timeless words, my friend. If we search for God with all of our heart and soul, if we want to know God, if we are desperate to know God, if we're willing to invest our time, our energy, our talent, if we're willing to do this to know God, we will find him. That's a promise from God. God is not up there as some distant being who's like, you know, you'll never find me, you'll never know me, good luck, not not even worth trying. No, God cares about you. God loves you, and if you seek God, you will find him. And I pray that this series will be a time that we will do that faithfully together. So to give you a little background on, on the book of Malachi, uh, it's, so I told you that the people, they had been in exile, right? The people had been hauled away, uh, but they did what God said in Deuteronomy. They sought the Lord. They're in exile. They found him. They turned their hearts back to him. And God brought them back home. It was so exciting. It was a great time in Israel's history. The people came back with joy and and excitement. The prophets were giving great prophetic words about the future and what God was going to do in his restored nation. And it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, But that's a little ways before Malachi. We've got an illustration here to kind of help you understand Malachi writes about a hundred years after that time, about a hundred years after the people have returned from exile. They've come back, they've rebuilt and all this, um, but thing, the temple's been rebuilt, but things aren't going so well. Uh, there's conflict among the people. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they write all about this, that it's, it's far from like a honeymoon stage, right? That, that wears off pretty quick and reality sets in for these Exile. So now we're a hundred years in, so we're a couple of generations back into the new, back into the return back to their homeland. They had returned with high hopes of freedom. That's how they came back. There's a new temple. They're able to worship the Lord as they're called to do. There's prophetic hope. There's a promised Messiah who's going to come and establish God's kingdom, and we're going to experience justice and peace that would reign in Israel and around the world. But that's not exactly what happened. Instead, we got corruption, we got injustice, we had poverty uh, throughout God's people. And so that was kind of where they had landed. So it's not good. It's not what they wanted or expected. The book is written as a series of disputes, with most sections beginning with God making a claim or accusation. And that's kind of how God starts off. And then the people, they give their response and disagreement to what God says, but then he comes back and gives the final word. There's six of these throughout the book, and the first three expose Israel's corruption, and the second three confront Israel's corruption. So that's kind of an outline on a, on a fairly simple book here. And the thing that we get from Malachi, it's very tragic, is this. The exile taught us nothing. The exile taught us nothing. 
We're a hundred years back in, and we've fallen into the same nonsense our ancestors did. That we get a little close to the Lord, we kind of go do our own things. We get a little bit better, we kind of do our own things. We're just getting further and further away from God and His calling. The people's hearts are just as hard as ever. Well, in the first dispute we'll look at today, God says that he still loves Israel. God proclaims his love for Israel despite her failures. And what does Israel do? They, despite this, asking how God has shown them love. And God responds by saying, hey, I chose your ancestor Jacob, right? Remember? And, And look at Esau, who I didn't choose. It didn't work out so well for him. This is just one example of my love for you, okay? Malachi Uh, Chapter 1, verse 2, this is the message the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? Now imagine this. I mean, this is coming in hot into this conversation, right? Imagine if you have someone in your life who you love, and you meet with them today, or you call them up or something, and you say, hey, I just want you to know that I love you. And they say, really? How have you ever shown me love? Ouch. <laughs> that's that's kind of rough. That, that question almost feels more like an accusation, right? You ever heard a question that feels like an accusation, right? Like, how are you so dumb and lazy? Really? <laughs> I think that's more of an accusation than a question, right? So the people are challenging this. God makes a very simple statement that I have always loved you. You've always been my people. I loved you. I've called you. And and they say, really? How have you shown us love? How have you loved us? The people aren't feeling it now. They've determined that God has failed them because really their, their world is not as they expected it to be. Their economy is not strong. Other nations are still kicking them around some. Uh, the prophetic words and hopes and whatnot about the Messiah don't seem to be happening. So God, what's going on? Throughout the book, we'll see reasons why they were in this place. We won't get into all of that today. But it seems clear that Israel's best days are behind her and the people are just not happy about it. Maybe in your own relationship with God, you've had moments you felt this way. You've had moments where you felt some distance between you and God, that life isn't what you wanted. Life isn't what you expected. God, what what gives? Why is it this way? We'll get more into that in a little bit. We're going to stick first with the people and why they were there. But I bet you if we think about it, we can all connect with the Israelites in one way or another here. They feel justified in in blaming God. And so let's see how God responds to his angry children here. He he connects with them through expressing his love, and he then gives them an example of his love. Verse 2, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. That took a weird turn, now didn't it? God says, yeah, I've always loved you. I chose you. If you doubt that I chose you, just look at your brother, right? Like, it didn't work out. So, okay, we need to go back in history to understand what's happening here. So God had 
uh, God had chosen to make a covenant with a guy named Abraham. You might remember Abraham. Uh, he goes way back before Moses, all of this. And so God says, Abraham, I want to bless the world through your descendants. Well, that felt like a joke, kind of a mean joke, because Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they couldn't have any kids. So what do you mean you're going to bless the world through my descendants? I don't have any. Well, then God gives him a miracle baby, Isaac, and Isaac is the one through whom Abraham's, this blessing, this covenant is going to be carried forward. Isaac uh, gets married, a woman named Rebekah. They have twins whose names are Jacob and Esau, thus the, the ones who God's talking about here. Jacob and Esau, both of them are bad boys, okay? Not good. In fact, in the womb, they are fighting with each other, it says. Some of you have a sibling or you raise children like this, right? You know what we're talking about. There's some, some tension, some rivalry in this family between Jacob and Esau. And so God says, you know, you want proof that I, I love you? Look, I, I chose you, not Esau. In fact, some translations even say, Jacob, I loved Esau, I've hated. Now, I don't know that that's the best translation because what we're really drawing is a, is a contrast of choice. Uh, and this is what God's referring to, that he chose Jacob's family to be the one through whom he's ultimately going to send the Messiah. Esau, so Jacob gets grace. He doesn't deserve that. It wasn't because he was so great. If you look at his life, he was a mess. But God gives him an undeserved gift of grace. Esau gets what he deserves and really what all of us deserve. And Esau gets, he, he chooses to reject God many times. Esau's people, I mean, Esau's people will choose to reject God. They will be enemies of God. Their, their names are the Edomites. And if you read the Old Testament, the Edomites are people who are oftentimes in, in tension and conflict with Israel. Eventually, the Edomites basically uh, get, get conquered a number of times, and they kind of disappear into history. The Bible in the New Testament will still sometimes make predictions about them because they are like the epitome of those who, who oppose God. Okay, so that's, that's what we're talking about here. Now, this can be a little challenging, a little tough for us, because naturally, we assume that everybody should get grace, we don't love hearing that Jacob gets grace and Esau gets what he deserves. And it comes from a good heart. Our, our desire for everybody to have grace, it comes from a good heart, but it, it misses the point of the gospel. You see, the gospel teaches, the Bible teaches that we all sin. Every single one of us, me, you, everybody who's ever lived, minus one, Jesus Christ, We've all sinned, we fall short of God's glory, and the, the, the wages, if you will, of that sin, the punishment of that sin is death. Death here on earth and eternal death, separation from God. And, and so we're in this place where we say, well, wait a minute, I, I, don't like, I don't like that. Like, I like to think of it differently. I like to think of it that, like, God is holy, right? He's, he's up here, he's holy, he's righteous, he's perfect. And for me... I'm not God, but I'm probably right about here, right? I'm pretty good when you think about it. I'm pretty close, you know. God's here, I'm here. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't necessarily deserve it all, but I'm really close. I could almost deserve it all, right? Like, I'm, I'm pretty good, so it's natural that I get grace, right? I'm a lot better than a bunch of those other people, right? Because, I'm, you know, I'm here. That's not what the Bible says. That's just kind of my arrogance that would put me up here. 
The Bible is really clear that God is holy, righteous, and perfect, and we're a long ways away. That we, on our own strength, could never find God. The Bible says that we were dead, we were lost in our trespasses and sins, uh, that we were so far off from God that we couldn't find God unless God first shined the light. So when I say that, I don't mean words of like, condemnation in the sense that like saying, oh, God doesn't love you. No, no, no. It's that our sin separates us from God. We choose sin. I choose sin. You choose sin. It's not God's best for us. So we have this separation from God, and I need, I need to be saved from that. Well, thank God that's not the end of the story. It could have been the end of the story, I mean, back when Adam and Eve chose sin and, and you see their descendants and going on and humanity is so sinful and messed up, God could have said, you know what, this did not work out. This creation, ooh, that was kind of a mess. They really screwed it up. Let's forget about them and create a new universe and start over here, right? But he didn't. In fact, he did something radical. He came down to personally fix the problem. To personally take that this, all this punishment for sin that is deserved, that, that God personally takes that on himself. His name is Jesus. He takes my sin. He takes your sin. And when he goes to the cross, he, he takes the payment, the punishment that I should have gotten, the punishment I should have gotten, Jesus gets, and he pays the price for my sin. So now, if I say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I trust in you to forgive me. I want you to be my Lord, the leader of my life, that I can have that forgiveness that I never could have earned, I never could have deserved. So this choosing of Jacob, it wasn't just for Jacob or Israel, it is for, for everyone, because ultimately this promised Messiah does come. He comes through this house of Jacob, through the Israelites, his name is Jesus, and he comes to save all people, that as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. That's the gospel. And so the Israelites, they had been adopted by God. They've been chosen by God. And now they're kind of like, they're almost kind of like um, adopted little brats here, right? They're sitting on his lap and they're smacking him in the face like, you don't love us. You don't care about us. He's like, really? I do. I chose you. I chose you, okay? And, and today he would say, of course I love you. I chose you. I sent Jesus. I sent Jesus for the whole world. I absolutely love you. I care about you. This is where we start the conversation on spiritual apathy today. Because, I, because Malachi takes us first right to the core issue. The core issue, in our terms we'd say this. It's easy to take Jesus for granted. It is easy to take Jesus for granted especially if you've been around the church for a long time, especially if you've heard this a, a bajillion different times. It's easy to be like, yep, I've heard the story. I get it. Thanks, John. I knew that. It's easy to take Jesus for granted. And it's easy to come into a place like this because it's 11 o'clock on Sunday, and that's what we do. And if I don't come, somebody from the church will probably call me, and I don't want them to call me, so I'm just going to come anyway, right? Or I need to see my friends, or I'll go out to lunch after church, and that'll be whatever, and I'm just going to do the thing while I'm here and go. There's so much more, friend. There's so much more. God loves you. God cares about you. If God has a refrigerator, your picture would be right on it. 
If God pulled out his cell phone, he'd have lots of pictures of you right there, right? Like God cares about you so much. You matter so much to God. And, and, and sometimes we, we don't think of our relationship with God in these terms. We think of it as like a, a box that like somehow we've checked off, right? You know, that like, well, back in 19-something or other, like I found Jesus, right? You know, and I gave my life to him and checked the box. There we go. I'm saved. And now I just kind of wait. And then someday I die and I go to heaven. That's great. That's not fully it. Yes, that's all wonderful and true. But right here in this life, God loves you, cares about you, and wants to know you. He does. I mean, think about, think about someone in your life who you love. What if you reached out to them today or called them today and said, hey, I would love to get together. I would love to have some time with you this week. Could, could we go out to dinner? Could we do something that we love together? Could we go to, go to a Reds game? Or could we, you know, go to a musical or go look at some art together or go to a movie? Whatever you like to do. Could we, could we do this? And what if you responded and said, hey, thank you for calling me. You know, we, we've known each other a lot of years, right? And, and in the, that time, I've gotten to know you really well. In fact, I, I really know a lot about you. So I'm going to have to say no. I don't really need any more time with you, quite frankly. I mean, I know you. I, I would really be better off to watch some TV or read a book or learn something new because I know an awful lot about you. But thanks for the call. <laughs> well, if you do that, you're not going to get a lot more of those calls now, are you? <laughs> because they're like, what's wrong with you? This is a relationship. In a relationship, you don't check the box and say it's done. No, this is an ongoing, we love each other, we care about each other, so we want to have time together. So we want to have another dinner get together. We want to spend the time because I like being with you. I actually love being with you. I care about you. Being around you brightens my day. Being around you makes my life better. And I want to invest into you because that's what love does. Now, if we understand that on the human level, how much more with God? Because, see, here's the deal. Christians have this really incredible belief that we have. We believe in a God, the God, in fact, who created heaven and earth, the, the almighty creator of the universe. We believe that he's so powerful that he can speak and things come into existence out of nothing. We believe that that can happen. We believe that God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is eternal. He's all-powerful. He knows everything, all these things. We believe that 100% about God. And we believe that God is a personal God. He's not just a distant being. He is a personal God. He's a personal God. He's a God who loves you so much, who cares about you so much, that he wants this personal relationship with you. When we describe God in our creeds, we talk about one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each of these are incredibly personal in who they are, right? God the Father, he's like the perfect, the ultimate parent. Maybe you had a really great parent. Well, thank God you got a, you got a decent picture of just how great God is. And he's even better. Maybe you had a terrible parent. Well, God's not at all like your parent then. 
He's everything you dreamed your parent would be and so much more. He's the best earthly parent times infinity. That's how good God is. And we think of a perfect father or mother's love, there's God's love. Think about the best that a father or mother could love you, there's God's love, and even then some. That's personal. That's not just distant. That's a personal love. And then second, God the Son. Well, God, seeing that we are sinners, seeing that we need to be saved, seeing that we can't do this on our own, He leaves heaven, He comes down to this earth, and and He gives His life for us. He does that. And Jesus, when he comes to this earth, he's born of uh, the Virgin Mary, right? He is 100% human, 100% God. In this miraculous event, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, comes to this earth. So now when we pray to God, we're talking to somebody who we know has personal experience here. You know, it's a hot day out there, right? Jesus knows what hot days were like. He lived in a desert climate. You know, you, you might, you might uh, smash your finger with a hammer later if you're working. Well, I bet Jesus did that occasionally in the carpentry shop, right? You might have a friend who's really let you down and hurt you. Well, one of Jesus' best friends betrayed him. You, may, you might go to a funeral and you might cry. Jesus did too. You see, in Jesus Christ, God got so personal, he walked this planet with us. When you pray to God, he gets it. He's been here. He's done that. And finally, last but not least, God the Holy Spirit. This is best of all, that the Holy Spirit, when we give our lives to Jesus, when we become a a Christian, that the Holy Spirit fills us up, that lives inside of us. So God, he's not just some distant being out there. He's right here. He's inside of you, and, and, and that when you pray, he's right there talking with you. And when you get tempted to do something stupid, he's right there saying, don't do that. That's not my way for you. That's not my will for you. That's not what's best for you. I want you to, to do something different. And, and sometimes when you pray, and you're like, God, I don't even know what to say. He prays on your behalf. He speaks on your behalf. And that this, this Holy Spirit, that you can be filled with the Spirit in, in multiple times throughout your life. You have multiple experiences where God just, He comes and He meets you in powerful ways. And He may do miracles in your life, or He may meet you in special ways as you pray. Or He's going to give you gifts that He uses to serve others and to, to build the kingdom. God, friends, is a personal God. He's a personal God. And I get it. Sometimes we forget this and we get some distance. But I would venture to say that that distance comes about because of us, not because God moves away from us. Sometimes we sin and we mess up and that causes distance between us and God. Sometimes other people do things that that hurt us and we don't know why God would possibly allow that other times we pray for things and we don't we don't get things exactly as we pray for so we get frustrated with God we get angry friend I just want you to know that God loves you more than you can possibly imagine and that this earth is it's still marred. It's still stained by, by sin. That what we have here is, is not exactly as God created it or wanted it to be. But he's not done yet. Because the Bible says that he's coming back. 
and that there's a new heaven and, and a new earth and that God wipes every tear away from our eyes and God heals these broken temporal bodies. He replaces them with eternal permanent bodies because he loves us. He didn't have to do that. He chooses us. And one of the most incredible truths about God is that God adopts us into his own family. The book of Ephesians tells us about this in uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. It says that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Get that? He wanted you in his family. And it gives him great pleasure. It's the beauty of adoption. You know, in adoption, a child cannot choose to be adopted, right? A person can't go up to another person. You can't just go find a rich person and say, hey, guess what? <laughs> I'm your daughter. I'm your son. Write me into the will, please. Doesn't work that way. You get adopted because the parent chooses you. And while, yes, we, say, we have to say yes to Jesus, it's a free will decision, we can only make that decision because first, God chose you. God chose the world when he gave his life for us on the cross. I think that it's, it's time for me to stop talking about this and for us to personally experience it at the table. So God, I just give you thanks for this amazing, amazing gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ, that you love the world so much that you left heaven, you came down to this earth. Father God, you gave your only son, Jesus, so that my sins could be paid for. I did not deserve nor earn that. I never could. But it's a free gift, and it's a gift that I am forever thankful for. Lord, I pray that we, as we experience this holy meal, that it would be a true, not only remembrance, but participation in your sacrifice. Would you meet us here by the power of your Holy Spirit? God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.